This is IA Forward, your playbook for success as an independent insurance agent. Here to help you knock it out of the ballpark are your hosts, Shane Tatum and Tanya Lead. Welcome to IA Forward. Shane, a few weeks ago, ESPN sent out an email with an article that was about what if Colt McCoy didn't get hurt in the 2010 National Championship game against Alabama. And I sent this article to you because I thought it was rather absurd. This is how absurd I think it is. Until you sent me the article, I completely forgot that it happened. And it's because it doesn't matter. It's a non-event. And so it just went out of my mind. What if he wouldn't have gotten hurt? What does that matter? It's Texas. They still lose the game. Don't forget, I'm from an Aggie family. Well, and then that weekend on College Game Day, they actually did an entire segment about this, and they took it a little further, and basically Colt McCoy said it didn't matter. We would have lost the game anyway. And I think he's right. That's where we go, is when we are on the losing end of something, or we want to stir the pot, we come up with this scenario that is really just so out in left field that we want to try to replay this around this is the reason that we lost the game. If you're Texas people or if you were a sports writer and it's your job to sell papers or sell ads, then this is a great article because the sports writer did their job. They are selling ads and they're getting people to come to the site because it's content, because it's stirring the pot. And in the real world, where the rest of us live, it doesn't matter because we make decisions and those decisions have outcomes and those decisions shape who we are. So it doesn't matter and we can't live in this what if world. What if I would have been born in the royal family? I don't know. I wouldn't dress myself every day. (laughs) It's like, you know, the what if stuff drives me insane. And I really think that the better what if on that would have been what if Texas had a defense? Then that could have changed the outcome of the game. Absolutely. I think about this like Bill Buckner, the Red Sox. I think it's the 1986 World Series. There's a really good thing out there that I've watched before. I don't recall it off the top of my head, but it's a documentary. It's about what happened after Buckner missed the ball, made the error. There's so many things that happened that led up to that little weak ground ball that could have won the game for Boston. So many things. But all we remember is what if Buckner would have caught the ground ball? What if he wouldn't have made the error? That can happen in any ball game. And I really, as a coach, when I was coaching with kids and hopefully parents out there, keep this in mind, the error at the end of the game did not decide the game. The mistake at the very end did not decide whether you won or lost. It was all the other little things that happened throughout the game that determined whether you won or lost. It's never one thing, ever. And it's never the field goal kicker's fault. We're in football season, and how many times does it come down to that field goal and everyone blames him? And I'm like, really? It's not. No. Oh, it's let's, not. Let's, no, the Arkansas game, A&M game the other day. The field goal kicker for Arkansas, gosh, I feel terrible for him. Ball off the top. I've never seen anything like that. Now we're blaming it on that kicker? No. No, there were so many plays that Arkansas had. The tipping point in the game where the quarterback, for some reason, decides to dive 
for the goal over the line and dive across the goal line, except for the fact that he's launching himself from like the five yard line. He's not at the one. It wasn't a third and goal from the one. It was a third and goal or something like that from the four. And he gets, of course, clogged up, messes around, fumbles the ball. Aggies end up going for a touchdown. Totally changes the game. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about the missed field goal. And the Arkansas kicker, never mind the fact that he made another field goal earlier, maybe two earlier in the game. So it's just this this thing that we do. I guess it's human nature, but it drives me crazy to play the what if game. I had somebody ask me recently, what was my biggest regret? And if you look at it from a logical perspective, I guess my biggest regret would be in my mid-20s, I was offered a job in Nashville and that was my dream job, right? I loved Nashville, being in radio, being in country radio specifically, this is exactly where I wanted to be. I was hired. I was headed that way. I'd found my little apartment and the company came back and said, we need you somewhere else. And I said, where? And they said, Shreveport, Louisiana. And I said, there's no way I'm moving to Shreveport, Louisiana. Like I do not want to live in Shreveport. And they said, well, what if we give you twice the money and pay for this lovely three bedroom apartment there for you? Well, now we're talking, right? And did I follow the dream or did I choose the money? Well, I chose the money. And, you know, I look back and if I had to choose something, maybe that's it. Maybe that's something that I would have changed, but probably not because while I really didn't like the job in Shreveport at all whatsoever, I made incredible contacts that actually changed the course of my life that brought me to exactly where I am today. So you can what if stuff all you want to, but you made that decision in that moment based on the fact that you had. That's some of the best advice from my wife. You can't say, you can't regret, you can't play second guesses because you made a decision based on the best available information that you had at that moment. I mean, 20 something years old and somebody's going to say, I'm going to pay you twice the money. Well, at 20 something years old, there's the dream and there's the reality. And someone could say, well, you chase the money, but I don't think you can find me a 20 something that doesn't chase the money most of the time. In your 20s, you're broke most of the time, unless, again, you were born into the royal family. Most of the time, most people in their 20s are broke. And so let's entice her with more money and see if she'll go where we really want her to go, which is over here to Shreveport. And I showed my kids some really unique culture at 11 p.m., at a Shreveport Waffle House after a softball tournament one night that we live to tell about. So whole nother story. But this whole idea of you made a decision based on the best available information that was put in front of you at that moment. And then we want to play the what if second guess game 10 years later. That's not healthy. Again, our experiences shape us. So one of the things that I hear from our agency partners, especially in their newer early days of joining us, is the statement of, I wish I would have done this sooner. I wish I would have started my agency sooner. And while flattering, and we kind of take that as sort of this validation of things are going well, but really what I want to say is, no, I'm glad, I'm happy that you feel that way about the program. Really what I want you to know is that you got here based on things you had done in the past and that shaped who you were and it prepared you for this moment. 
I believe that. Your decision to go to Shreveport and take double the money shaped you to be here today. It shaped you to do so many things that led you between that point and this point. And I just feel like the what if game or regret game is just unhealthy. I think along those lines of the what if game is the guilt game. I see a lot of people that feel guilt long term about things. And and I really kind of feel that guilt is somewhat of a useless emotion. Because going back to the what ifs, you made a decision in that moment based on the information that you had. Yeah, I've made bad decisions. Let's not ignore the fact that we all make bad decisions. Of course. And we may feel guilty. Guilty for those bad decisions or some reaction to something. But again, those bad decisions taught me something. And I just have this view of life that they shouldn't be regretted because they help shape you. When you hang on to that guilt, you're missing the fact that you learned something. Something came out of that. A reshaped person, a learning experience, all of those things make up who we are today. And we're going to make another bad decision probably, (laughs) because we're all human. And then that's going to shape us even more. When this article came out and I sent it to you, one of your initial comments was that what if is an excuse. And you're about no excuses right now. That's right. I'm a no excuse guy right now. Just own it. I think what if is an excuse. It's trying to paint the reason in this article as if the only reason that Texas lost to Alabama in the national title was because... Colt McCoy was hurt. That's the only possible reason. That's what the rationale is. It's an excuse to make someone feel better about the failure. What I don't understand is why we struggle with owning failure. I think it's really valuable to own the failure. When we don't own the failure, we generally make an excuse in in saying, well, what if this would have happened? Or if only this would have happened or this other thing would have happened, then that wouldn't have been the result. Maybe so, but it still happened. And it's still an excuse, (laughs) unfortunately. So we've been talking about what ifs going back. Let's talk about what ifs going forward. I see people talk themselves out of starting their agency or talking themselves out of their dream by thinking like, well, what if this happens or that whole fear of uncertainty or what if my competition does this or what if I am not set up right financially long term, even though I think I am. I think that what ifs tend to paralyze us sometimes from moving forward and taking those next steps. I could what if you to death here. What if You step out of bed onto a roller skate and you trip and fall and you break your arm and you can't work or type and you just keep going. And what if, what if, what if, what if the U.S. economy fails? What if the election doesn't go my way? What if, what if my dog dies? What if my cat dies? I mean, what if is so paralyzing that what it gets us to is this place where we are trying to talk ourselves through a no-risk option. We cannot get ourselves to a point of making a decision where there's zero risk. There's always going to be some level of risk around the decisions you make in the future. Should I grow? Should I hire? Should I not hire? Should I write this piece of business? Should I chase this commercial thing? All of these things have risk attached to it. And We can play that game, but I really think what we're trying to do is we're trying to get ourselves to this path of, if I do X, I'm guaranteed success. And that doesn't exist. 
I think the true what if when starting an agency is it ultimately comes down to what if I fail? And somehow we have correlated the concept of failing at something with being a loser or making us a bad person or there's this thing that has somehow been created with our society. I think all of the what ifs, basically it comes down to a fear of failure. I agree. Why in society do we struggle with that? Is it an ego thing? Is it a money thing? I can't afford this risk. Maybe so, and, and maybe it's not the right time. Maybe you're doubling down on money you don't have, or maybe the time of life is not good for you to do this. I also talk a lot about taking calculated risk and making decisions around calculated risk scenarios. And this fear of failure thing, it has a source. Everyone has this source in them that this fear of failure is created out of. We have to find a way to overcome that to the extent that if we don't take that leap, we're always going to be at this place of asking ourselves a different what if question. Well, what if I would have made the leap? I have a sports analogy here that I hope helps around college baseball. I had an opportunity my senior year to transfer and go play at either Oklahoma State or the University of Houston. The Stephen F. Austin baseball program at that time, uh, Stephen F. Austin was dealing with some Title IX issues, and I'm thankful as a girl dad that they dealt with those. But one of the casualties of that in the 90s was that baseball was going to be phased out. And so we were given scholarship releases and we could stay and play our next year, which would have been my senior year, knowing that that was the last year of the program, or we could transfer. And this was way before transfer portal, people. Okay. Understand this is way, way pre-transfer portal. There was no such thing. I got my release and I had two phone calls. One was the University of Houston and Oklahoma State. The decision that was laid before me was come to the University of Houston. You will come in. Day one, you will be the starting shortstop and you will bat lead off. Unless you're injured, that's what you're doing for me. I'm building this program. I need a leader. I need a foundation. I got some kids I'm recruiting. I need them to come in and I need you to be like this sort of stepping stone kind of for the program. Another one of my teammates, a pitcher who ended up playing some minor league ball, had already committed to go down and sign and play at U of H. Same kind of conversation. So we were kind of giving them this senior leadership thing. And the coach there, who wound up being extremely successful, calling me, talking to me directly. And then the other phone call was from Oklahoma State. Perennial powerhouse back in the Big 8 days won 16 straight Big 8 titles. Dream school of dream schools for me as a baseball player. The discussion with Oklahoma State was, we'd love for you to come in. We need some depth and experience. You'll have a shot at earning a starting spot and we got some money for you. Almost 100% at U of H and then it was like 30 or 40% at Oklahoma State. And the difference was which team had the best chance to go to the College World Series. I chose Oklahoma State. And the reason that I decided to choose Oklahoma State, because I did not want to be for the rest of my life wondering if I could have gone to Omaha. There was no chance that Houston at that day and time was going to Omaha. But I could have been the starting shortstop for the University of Houston Southwest Conference against Texas, Rice, A&M, Baylor, all of those schools at the time. I probably had a better chance of getting drafted, playing some pro ball, 
But I did not want to wonder, what if Omaha? What if I would have gone to U of H? How many times would I have watched Oklahoma State play on TV and gone, man, I wonder if I could have made the starting lineup at Oklahoma State? So these sort of forks in the road kind of decisions, your Shreveport versus Nashville, my Oklahoma State versus U of H, my daughter had a similar path. University of Kansas, Big 12, got to work your tail off. Southland Conference, mid-major, probably step in, play starting shortstop day one. She chose the University of Kansas. She didn't want that regret either. There's things that we think about and we make choices and we sit around then down the road and go, what if? But look, my year in Oklahoma State shaped my career. It gave me so many opportunities along the way and so many learning curves along the way that still to this day benefit me. Your coach at Oklahoma State basically helped form the way you look at business. Absolutely. Playing under Gary Ward. And again, I got one year. My only regret (laughs) is that he didn't find me faster. Gary Ward had an approach to playing the game, to coaching, to building men and young men and shaping them. One of the things that he always did that he didn't get the best praise for was he wouldn't allow his players to go shake hands and people would call him a bad sportsman. Can you imagine the cancel culture today on the Gary Ward? Oh, that would be crazy. So his whole theory and his whole mindset was you are competing in a game, you are in a battle. We're in a nine-inning war. At the end of that battle, we're not going to go shake the hands of our opponent at the end of that battle. You can agree or disagree with me on that. That's fine. It doesn't matter. I was not the creator of that, but I played under that. I have my mixed emotions about it, but at that time, it was such a confidence-building thing as a player to play for a coach that had this mentality of, how to win, how to compete. And it was so important in really the shaping of how things went forward in my life in terms of business. Talking about fear of failure, did you know there's like a fancy word for that? A tickophobia. Why is there a fancy word for everything? A tickophobia. <laughs> a tickophobia is the fear of failure. So what would you say to a producer wanting to start their agency? And they're dealing with all of the what ifs, specifically a tickophobia. <laughs> I'm never going to get over you introducing a fancy word to fear of failure. Yeah, you might fail, but you know what? You might succeed. If there's some kind of mindset around, I'm going to first eliminate risk completely in order for me to take this step, then the statement has to be, that's never going to happen. And as an insurance professional, you already know this. If you're struggling to take that step, I think you need to really search for why. And you may not need to take that step. So are you a procrastinator? Because that's kind of fear of failure. Because if you procrastinate on something, then you either don't like doing it or you're fearful of it because something's not going to go right. I have found that sometimes my personal experience is I procrastinate when I'm just unsure. So sometimes procrastination is good. (laughs) In a world of urgency and execution and get it done, there's maybe some reason why you are afraid to take that leap of faith or you are afraid to make that step. And it may be that things aren't right, but you need to search that 
and make sure that it's just not that there's risk because the risk is always going to be there. And I think it's really important that we separate that discussion around, is it risk or is something wrong? Is something just not right yet? Am I not ready yet? Because those are really two different things. I would ask the same question of you talking to a solopreneur that's looking to bring on a producer or a CSR. Some of us aren't good people managers. (laughs) And you may be scared of something as simple as payroll, but that most of the time is lack of knowledge. In today's world, There's probably an outsourced solution or a solution in general for the problem that you're running into. The other thing that I would say to the solopreneur that I find most folks run into is they grow their book and they grow their agency and they live out of it and they're making a lot of money if they hold on and they're doing a lot of work. So they're kind of tongue hanging out, tongue dragging, grinding, working really hard. But their reward is pretty good financially. And instead of saying, hold on, you're bringing in $200,000 a year in revenue. And instead of setting your standard of living around $80,000 a year, you're setting your standard of living around whatever you put in the bank account after some expenses. If you're doing that and you're setting your income around $150,000, $160,000 a year on a $200,000 gross, you're not preparing for a producer or a staff member at all. Because at any point that it's time for you to hire because you cannot keep up any longer, well, you're going to take a pay cut. Well, what does that look like? It's not a pay cut if your standard of living is around 80000 a year and you're preparing for it. But it is a pay cut if your standard of living is $160,000 a year, because then you're going to look at me and go, Shane, I can't afford to hire someone. I've had that discussion. I'm exhausted. I'm working too much. I have no balance. I'm working too many hours. I never see my family. All of those discussions. Okay. Well, I'm looking at your book of business and what are you bringing in? Two, two twenty, two thirty? Yeah, I think, I think that's about right. So what are you paying yourself? Oh, well, whatever I can, whatever I'm bringing in. Well, what are you doing with that money? Well, um, we just built a new house. We just bought three new vehicles. We just did this. We just did that. And I'm like, well, it's not that you can't afford to hire somebody. It's that you've set your standard of living in an unrealistic level. This is bad business. This is not a good business decision. That's the mistake that most solopreneurs make. They don't stop as their income grows and prepare for building their agency. They are living like it's a job. And the revenue they're generating is their bonus pay and so forth. That's something that you have to remember. Because look, if you're bringing in $200,000 a year and you need to hire somebody, let me be the first person to tell you that you can afford to do it. But it's going to change your lifestyle if you've set your lifestyle at a level that you're not ready to be at yet. Years ago, I had a coach tell me that my desire for success had to be greater than my fear of failure. I've heard that. You have to have this mindset. We talk about it. We use a lot of sports analogies, championship mindset. And that is part of that overcoming the risk. You really got to want it. And you have to believe that you can do it. And you really have to be at a place where you're not willing to accept failure. And I think that failure is a really weird word there because I haven't seen a lot of agencies fail, agency owners, independent agencies fail, where the owner was fully committed. I just haven't. Now, I've seen some agencies fail 
because the owner or agency principal was sticking their toe in the water. They were moonlighting. There's some captive organizations out there that let you start your agency on the side and keep your day job and do this on the nights and weekends. I just don't love that because you're never really fully in and you're never really fully committed and it's really easy to just let it go and go back to your job. It's this all-in mentality. This desire, to your point, has to be extremely high. And I'm not sure that agents will fail if they have that level of commitment. I'm going to leave us today with one of my favorite quotes. Don't fear failure. Fear being in the exact same place next year as you are today. Attitude to choice. Make a great one. Bye, y'all. Ready to get the ball rolling with your independent agency? Learn more at IntegraAgent.com. That's IntegraAgent.com. Thank you for joining us on IA Forward. Make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now or learn more at IAForward.com.